Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and as promised several weeks back, we are doing a special tribute for Black History Month by featuring Black musicians, entrepreneurs, politicians, and people who generally have made a difference in the world. Today, we're going to talk about someone that, uh, that I heard about in a Black history class that I took in college and have looked into a little bit more since then, but we're going to talk about Madam C.J. Walker. Madam C.J. Walker was actually born Sarah Breedlove, December 23rd, 1867, and she was born close to Delta, Louisiana. Her parents, Owen and Minerva, had five children in addition to Sarah. They had the older sister, Lavinia, and four brothers, Alexander, James, Solomon, and Owen. Now, Sarah's other siblings were enslaved at the Madison Parish Plantation, and she was the first one in her family to be born into freedom under the Emancipation Proclamation. And for those of you who may want a quick update on what the Emancipation Proclamation is, it was essentially a presidential proclamation an executive order issued by Abraham Lincoln January 1st, 1863 during the Civil War. And this particular proclamation changed the legal status of more than 3.5 million enslaved Black people. And these people were freed in the Confederate States. Additionally, as soon as slaves escaped the control of their enslavers, either by fleeing to the Union or of federal troops, they were considered permanently free. It also allowed former slaves to be received into the armed services of the U.S. So that was a very pivotal point in history, and it allowed for Sarah to be the first one to be born into freedom. However, all was not great for Sarah after that. Her mother ended up dying in 1873, and they say that it was probably from cholera, this epidemic traveled with river passengers up the Mississippi River, reaching Tennessee and related areas in about the mid-1870s. Sarah's father remarried, but ended up dying about a year after. That left Sarah orphaned at the age of seven. Then she was sent to Vicksburg, Mississippi at about the age of 10, where she lived with her older sister, Lavenia, and her brother-in-law, Jesse Powell. Now, Jesse was said to be really mean and abusive towards Sarah. When she was just a small child, she started working as a domestic servant. That being said, she didn't get much of an opportunity for a formal education, having only about three months worth, and what she learned in Sunday school literacy lessons at the church that she had been attending. So, with all of that going on in her life and losing her parents and being raised by her sister and her sister's abusive husband, Sarah was kind of forced into something that she probably didn't anticipate that she would be. But in 1882, when she was about 14, she married a man by the name of Moses McWilliams. His age at that time was unknown. They say that she did this primarily to escape the abuse of her brother-in-law, Jesse Powell. Sarah and her first husband, Moses, had one daughter, Lalia McWilliams, who was born June 6, 1885. By the time Moses died in 1887, Sarah was about 20 and her young daughter was two. Sarah remarried in 1894 to her second husband, John Davis, but ended up leaving him around 1903. In January 1906, about three years after her divorce from her second husband, she married Charles Joseph Walker, and Walker was a newspaper advertising salesman. 
She had known him when she was in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was through this particular union that she became known as Madam C.J. Walker. The couple ultimately divorced in 1912, and Charles himself died in 1926. But Lalia McWilliams adopted her stepfather's surname and also became known as a walker. Let's talk a little bit about Sarah Breedlove's career. In about 1888, she and her daughter moved to St. Louis. Evidently, three of her brothers lived there working as barbers, and Sarah initially found work as a laundress, doing other people's laundry, and barely earned more than about a dollar a day. However, she was very determined and ambitious and wanted to make enough money to provide herself and her daughter with a comfortable living, as well as to provide her daughter with a formal education. It was said around this time that Sarah was suffering from dandruff and some other scalp ailments. She had some partial baldness and some skin disorders. And they think that part of the reason for this was harsh products that were used to clean hair and wash clothing. Some other factors that are said to have possibly contributed to her health issues were poor diet, illnesses, infrequent bathing, and hair washing in a time when most Americans lacked indoor plumbing, central heating, or electricity. Sarah initially learned all about the hair care industry from her brothers, like I mentioned, who were barbers in the St. Louis, Missouri area. And shortly thereafter, she started selling products for a woman by the name of Annie Malone. This woman was a black hair care entrepreneur and a millionaire. She owned the Poro Company, and she was selling her products at the Louisiana Purchase Exposition, or the World's Fair in St. Louis in 1904. And Sarah was doing some sales for her at that time. However, it was a little bit of a disappointment, and it was said that the Black community was largely ignored at this exposition as far as sales and marketing were concerned. So Sarah really got her foundation in the hair care industry working with Malone, and Malone would later become Walker's largest rival in the hair care industry. However, Sarah was really taking that knowledge that she was learning and developing her own product line during the time that she was working for Annie Malone. Then, in July of 1905, Sarah was about 37 years old and she and her daughter moved to Denver, Colorado. She intended to take this time to build her own hair care business, even though she was still selling some products for Annie Malone. There was some controversy as well during this time that Sarah maybe had stolen some of the formulas from Annie Malone. However, the mixture of petroleum, jelly, and sulfur had been used for over a hundred years for a variety of different people who were trying to make products for black hair. She was marketing herself initially as an independent hairdresser and someone who was retailing cosmetic creams. And the name was essentially an ode to the French beauty industry. Her husband at that time was also her business partner, and he was giving her lots of great advice and helping her build with advertising and promotion. She was selling her products door to door, but also teaching other black women how to groom and style hair, which was essential to really understanding and promoting her own products. By 1906, Sarah put her daughter in charge of the mail order operation in the Denver area, and then she and her husband were doing extensive traveling throughout the southern and eastern U.S. to expand the business. By about 1908, Walker and her husband relocated once more to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where they opened a beauty parlor, 
and established this college to train hair culturists, they called them. In the meantime, though, Sarah was an advocate for Black women's economic independence, and she opened this training program called the Walker System, and it was essentially a national network of sales agents who were licensed and who earned commissions. After Sarah closed her business in Denver in 1907, her daughter joined her in Pittsburgh, and by 1910, they established a new base of their business, Madam C.J. Walker, in Indianapolis, and Alilia ran the business operations in, in Pittsburgh on a day-to-day basis. She also persuaded her mom to establish an office beauty salon in New York City's Harlem neighborhood, which was growing very fast during that time. And about 1913, it was a huge center for Black culture, and it was really important to sort of create a home base there. By 1910, Walker relocated her businesses to Indianapolis and established her headquarters for the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. Initially, she purchased a home and a factory and later built another factory, a hair salon, and a beauty school. It was her intent to train her agents and she added a laboratory as well to help her create these products and do a lot of research. In the meantime, though, she was assembling a staff with dozens and dozens of qualified individuals who knew all about hair care and the beauty industry for Black people. Most of her employees, though, including the key management and staff positions, were women. And Sarah really felt strongly about how important that was. She also developed this method of grooming that was designed to promote hair growth and condition the scalp at the same time with these products, which was pretty revolutionary during this time period when shampoos and soaps were very, very harsh and could often injure the scalp and irritate it. She had a system that included a shampoo and a sort of pomade that helped the hair grow. And then when you brushed it and applied these particular combs that she created, it made lackluster and brittle hair really soft and manageable, which was kind of a rarity back then. And she was a real pioneer in this beauty product line that she was creating. However, again, there was that controversy with Annie Turnbow Malone's Poro system. Those two continued to clash throughout the years as major rivals. Between the years of 1911 and 1919, during the height of her career, Sarah and her company employed thousands of women as sales agents for its products, and they were really doing amazing things for female entrepreneurs. And by 1917, in this world of this racism and sexism and all kinds of other problems with society where people were really struggling, Sarah's company actually trained about 20,000 women. And some of the sources wrote that she had very characteristic uniforms with white shirts and black skirts and these particular black satchels where they had all their products so that they could go door to door, which was pretty unique for that time as well. Sarah's products were also packaged in containers with her image, which was a pretty rare thing in that time as well. And it really demonstrated that Walker understood the power of advertising and brand awareness. She and her husband really promoted this strong advertising in black papers and magazines. And then Sarah would also do a lot of traveling to promote her products, which helped her and her products be very well known in the United States. In addition to her training in sales and grooming, 
Sarah showed other women how to budget and build their own businesses, encouraging them to be financially independent, which was also pretty rare during that time period. And then around 1917 as well, she started organizing her sales agents into state and local clubs. And she established the National Beauty Culturist and Benevolent Association of Madam C.J. Walker Agents, which later became known as the Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culturist Union of America. They had their first annual conference in Philadelphia in the summer of 1917, and there were over 200 women in attendance. This is believed to have been the first of national gatherings for women entrepreneurs to discuss business and commerce. And this was a pretty exciting time. Walker gave prizes to women who sold the most products and brought in the most new sales agents. She also rewarded people who made large contributions to charities in their own communities. So she was really fostering this support of communities, support of women, helping other women succeed and helping communities improve. By the 1920s, the company's business market had expanded well beyond the U.S. and was then in Cuba, Jamaica, Haiti, Panama, and Costa Rica. Even though her business was growing by leaps and bounds, Walker thought it was really, really important to give to charities and be involved with charities. And she addressed this at one of the annual gatherings of the National Negro Business League. And she helped to raise funds to establish a new branch of the YMCA in a black community, pledging money to help build a center, as well as giving money to churches and educational centers, including schools for young black girls. By 1913, Sarah's daughter had moved to Harlem. And in 1916, Sarah joined her in New York City, leaving the day-to-day -day operations of her amazing company to the team in Indianapolis. Then in 1917, Walker commissioned the first licensed black architect in New York City to build a house for her. She called it Villa Luaro, and it cost about a quarter of a million dollars to build, but she intended for it to be a gathering place for community leaders, and she really wanted to inspire other black people to pursue their dreams. She finally moved into the house in May 1918 and hosted a huge opening event. It was around this time as well that she started getting more and more involved in political matters and delivering lectures on political, economic, and social issues at conventions. She was said to have been friends with people as influential as Booker T. Washington, Mary McLeod Bethune, and W.E.B. Du Bois. She helped with war efforts in the First World War and really focused her energy on contributions to political and philanthropic interests. For her death in 1919, Walker pledged about $5,000 to NAACP's anti-lynching fund. And at the time, that was the largest gift from an individual. She also bequeathed about $100,000 to orphanages, institutions, and individuals and directed that her future net profits be given to charity. Sarah ultimately died May 25th, 1919 from kidney failure. She also was said to have had complications from hypertension. She was 51 when she passed away and she was interred at the Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, New York City. At the time of her death, she was considered to be worth about a half a million to a million dollars this meant that she was the wealthiest black woman in America. After she passed away, her personal papers were preserved at the Indiana Historical Society in Indianapolis. 
And she's got a bunch of her properties listed in the National Register of Historic Places, including Villa Luardo and the Madame Walker Theater Center in Indianapolis. There's also a museum in Atlanta devoted to Walker, as well as a historic radio station. And then one more interesting little article about Madame C.J. Walker is 15 incredible facts about Madame C.J. Walker, the first American female millionaire. Born Sarah Breedlove, Madam C.J. Walker was an African-American entrepreneur in the early 1900s. During an era of Jim Crow laws and gross racial and gender inequality, Walker became the first female self-made millionaire in the U.S. Her business, the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company, made and sold hair products aimed at the African-American community. Sarah Breedlove was born in Louisiana in 1867 on a cotton plantation. Her parents, Owen and Miranda, were former slaves. Now, this article says Miranda, but I've also seen Sarah's mother referred to as Minerva. In any case, Sarah's parents were former slaves, and she was the fifth child and the only one born free. Her older siblings were born prior to the Emancipation Proclamation, and then they died when Sarah was very young. This made it so that she had to be raised by her sister, Lavinia. Madam C.J. Walker was married multiple times. Walker is the last name of her third husband. She was also a staunch community activist and basically an all-around badass. You could call her the grandmother of hustle. Sarah was the first female self-made millionaire in America. Madam C.J. Walker's company started off as a small door-to-door and mail-order business based in Denver, Colorado. Walker and her husband, who sold newspaper advertising, used his marketing skills and her strong work ethic to grow her business nationwide. It quickly spread to Indianapolis, Indiana, Harlem, New York, and Pittsburgh. At its height, the company trained and employed over 20,000 women nationwide. The profits made Walker the first female, not just African-American female, self-made millionaire in the country. Madam C.J. Walker once stated, There is no royal flower sown path to success, and if there is, I have not found it. For if I have accomplished anything in life, it is because I have been willing to work hard. When she died, her company was worth over $1 million dollars so she truly practiced what she preached. She was one of the most successful African-American business owners of all time. Madam C.J. Walker passed away on May 25, 1919. Kidney problems and hypertension contributed to her death at age 51. At the time, her estate was worth about $600,000 or about $8 million in current dollars. This made her the wealthiest African-American woman in the country at the time. Her influence on society can only be described as Oprah-esque. She set up classes to help her fellow businesswomen and encouraged women all over the country to become financially independent. She considered it her duty to spread her success around and help other women achieve their dreams. She mass-produced hair care products for black women, and this was in a time when that was virtually unheard of. There are rumors that Madam C.J. Walker invented straightening combs and chemical perms, but there's no real evidence to back that up. What she did do was to create the Walker system, which consisted of products designed specifically for African-American hair. There were shampoo, pomades, iron combs, and other products that were designed to help create beautiful, soft, and healthy hair for Black women. 
In the early 1900s, there weren't a lot of outlets that were selling hair care products for Walker's target demographic, which was black women. And there certainly wasn't a fleet of saleswomen selling these products around the U.S. Madam C.J. Walker found this gap and filled it, creating her own success. The company Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing stayed in business until 1981, which was 62 years after Walker's death. In 2016, Sundial Brands put out a special collaboration named Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culture. It was sold in Sephora stores nationwide. It is also said that her products were sold in this collaboration at Walmart as well. Her mentor became her biggest rival. In 1904, Madam C.J. Walker began working for Annie Turnbull Malone, who was a fellow African-American woman. Walker sold Malone's hair products branded under the name Poro on commission. She learned how to market the items, which included hair growth serums, hair straighteners, and moisturizing oils. But after a disagreement with Malone, Walker left the company. Shortly after this falling out, Walker started her own brand of similar products and made her own recipes. As Madam C.J. Walker manufacturing grew in popularity, Malone quickly became her biggest rival as both targeted the same demographic. The personal relationship between the two never recovered. Sarah was orphaned at age seven, married at 14, and refused to accept her life's circumstances. Back when Madam C.J. Walker was known as Sarah Breedlove, she married her first husband, Moses McWilliams, at the age of 14. She was orphaned at age seven when her father died, and her mother died of cholera a few years earlier. Breedlove then went to live with her older sister, Lavinia, who was married to the ill-tempered Jesse Powell. It is believed that Breedlove married McWilliams at such a young age to escape Powell's cruelty. At the age of 18, Breedlove gave birth to her only child, her daughter, Lydia McWilliams. Her husband died two years later, and Breedlove went on to marry two more times. Her last husband, Charles Joseph Walker, was an advertising salesman for newspapers, and Breedlove and her daughter then took his name. Over the years, Sarah Breedlove went from working as a sharecropper on a cotton plantation to selling beauty products on commission for Annie Tumbo Malone. These products inspired the ones that became the backbone of, of Madam C.J. Walker's manufacturing company. She exclusively employed women as sales agents for her products. And one of the things that made Madam C.J. Walker successful was her fleet of female sales agents. Each of them went through plenty of training on how to use the Walker system and learned sales techniques as well as marketing tactics. All in all, Walker is said to have trained over 20,000 women around the world on how to use and sell her products. This was unusual as most salespeople at the time were men. However, in order to reach her female customer base, Walker wisely believed that women would respond better to sales reps that were of the same gender. Each of her saleswomen was given a specific uniform consisting of a black skirt and white blouse, as well as a black satchel to carry the products and samples in. Walker's saleswomen were organized into statewide groups in order to support each other. The tactics worked and Walker's sales base quickly expanded into other countries, including Costa Rica, Panama, Cuba, Haiti, and Jamaica. She didn't start her business until the age of 38. Over the course of her life, Madam C.J. Walker rose to a wealthy businesswoman. In between, she worked at many labor-intensive jobs, including laundress. 
Eventually, at the age of 38, after spending decades dealing with scalp and hair issues, she consulted with her brothers who worked as barbers and used the knowledge she accrued selling hair products by another woman to launch her own company. She was truly proof that you are never too old to follow your passion. She was also a generous philanthropist. Once her company became successful, Madam C.J. Walker began supporting causes that she believed in, and she supported them with her whole heart. She gave scholarship money to the Tuskegee Institute. She gave money to the construction of a YMCA building for the Black community of Indianapolis and donated money to the NAACP's anti-lynching fund. On top of this, Walker supported the arts and gave the largest individual donation to the group working to preserve Frederick Douglass's former house. In her will, she bequeathed over $100,000 to a number of different causes, including schools and orphanages. She visited the White House in 1917 to petition for an anti-lynching bill. In 1917, a mob of white citizens attacked and murdered three dozen black people in East St. Louis, Illinois. In a reaction to this, a group of Harlem, New York leaders put together a petition for a federal anti-lynching bill. Madam C.J. Walker was one of the matrons of this petition, and she visited the White House with several other people to present it to President Woodrow Wilson. Sadly, the bill did not pass. She was also friends with Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Mary McLeod Bethune. As her company became more and more successful, Madam C.J. Walker moved her home base from Indianapolis to the Harlem neighborhood of New York City. After this move, she got involved with politics and crusaded for Black rights and economic empowerment. While in Harlem, she met and became fast friends with Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Mary McLeod Bethune, all of whom fought for social change and equality. Walker, of course, was deeply involved in political activism. She put together one of the first national meetings of businesswomen in the country. Madam C.J. Walker encouraged women to be independent. She not only hired them as salespeople, but she put together state and nationwide groups of female entrepreneurs and businesswomen in the hopes that their camaraderie would make them all stronger and more successful. In 1917, she organized the first national conference of the National Beauty Culturists and Benevolent Association of Madam C.J. Walker's agents. The conference took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and is believed to be among the very first national meetings of female entrepreneurs in the U.S. This made Walker a true trailblazer. She left an enduring legacy. Villa Luaro was built for Madam C.J. Walker between the years of 1916 and 1918. It's located in Irvington, New York, and was designed by the first African-American architect to be registered in the state of New York, Werner Tandy. In all, construction of the Italianate-style villa cost Walker about $250,000, or about $5.5 million in today's money. She decorated the interior lavishly and used part of the house to host race relations meetings. After her death, the house passed to her daughter, and then it became a convalescent home and is now owned by Harold Doley, founder of Doley Securities. It was added to the list of National Register of Historic Places in 1976. In 1998, Madam C.J. Walker was honored with a postage stamp bearing her likeness. The U.S. Postal Service included her in its Black Heritage Series of stamps that year. W.E.B. Du Bois 
George Washington Carver, Hudley Leadbelly, and Jesse Owens were some of the other luminaries featured in the series. The factory became the Madam Walker Theater Center. Madam C.J. Walker broke ground on the Walker Building and Theater in Indianapolis, Indiana, shortly before her death in 1919. The building was designed to be both a place to manufacture her products and develop the arts for the city's African-American community. The structure now sits in Indianapolis's art district. After Walker Manufacturing went out of business in 1981, the building quickly became home to the Madam Walker Building Urban Life Center, which is now the Madam Walker Theater Center. It was fully restored and now has a ballroom, office spaces, and a 935-seat Walker Theater. The building is also on the National Register of Historic Places. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. In 1993, Madam C.J. Walker was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in honor of her company's success, as well as her contributions to society. She is enshrined there among Maya Angelou, Susan B. Anthony, and her friend Mary McLeod Bethune, as well as Juliette Gordon Lowe, Rosa Parks, Sally Ride, and many other historic women who have received this honor. Her daughter continued her legacy by supporting the arts. Her only child was born in 1885, and after her mother died, she became the president of Madam C.J. Walker's Manufacturing and became a fixture of the Harlem arts scene. Passionate about art, classical music, and opera, as well as the other popular music of the time, ragtime jazz, her townhouse was visited by artists, writers, musicians, politicians, and actors. She essentially created the American version of the French Salon, awesomely called the Dark Tower. In this place, artists and patrons circulated amongst each other. And up until Sarah's daughter's death in 1931, she socialized with and provided a safe space for artists of the time. Well, Sarah Breedlove, a.k.a. Madam C.J. Walker, sounds like an absolutely amazing woman. And she was certainly born well before her time. She was definitely a true trailblazer. All of the articles we have used on the show today will be listed in our show notes, as well as any other resources that we've used. If you have any questions or concerns, you can shoot us an email at thebftpodcast at gmail.com. Until then, please join us next time when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stories, as well as interesting people. In the meantime, stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye! Thank you.